Welcome to La Casa Blanca Podcast. I'm your host, Brendan, here. Oh, isn't feeling too well, so he's not going to make it. So I got a special guest who, good friend of the pod, Billy Microslong. How are we doing today, brother? Oh, we're good. We're good. Uh, thanks for having me on. Big fan, and uh, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having you on. Yeah, you pay us a thousand bucks a month just to come on once a month. So, you know, who's the fool on that one? Am I right? Just kidding. Well worth it. Well worth it. <laughs> well worth the content. So Bill tunes in every once in a while. I love his input because he just he sees the game different than someone like me who's super analytical and you know, he kinda just let it his eyes doing the talking talking for him while me and O, you know, we kind of just sometimes let our emotions and the numbers kind of drive our conversation. So I'm excited to have a different opinion on for today's podcast. Um, as someone who goes to Bill Bow regularly, you know, I love that stadium. I don't go regularly, though. I wish I did. But, you know, that atmosphere was something special. Wouldn't you agree? Watching that game, hearing those whistles every single time Vinicius touched the ball and when we possessed the ball for too long. Uh, 100%. Um, first of all, the city's great. And second of all, you do go regularly more than anybody else I know, so that counts. Um, but that stadium's great. Uh, the atmosphere's great. Just watching football in Spain is – it's completely different than sitting on your couch. It's amazing. And I, it's on my bucket list to attend a Real Madrid-Bilbao game in Bilbao just one day. It's just on my bucket list of things that I really want to do and – you know, if you got the, you know, if you ever want to tag along, feel free. Cause I know anyone will take a trip to Spain whenever they really want to. Um, That's the truth. Yeah. So getting to the actual game, there was a lot of hype leading up to the game. Bilbao really hasn't been in the best form. Neither have we, but we did get a big moral victory against Villarreal coming back in the second half to win three two. Um, how much do you think that that vic- that three two victory played into Madrid this game? Um, I think it definitely helped. As you know, Madrid's been not in the best of form. Um, they're, what, three points out of first or yeah. tied for first. So they're, they're doing what they can to maintain position and table, but it, it's huge. I mean, anytime you can string a couple wins together, as you know, uh, from playing sports growing up, it getting hot is one of the best things you can do in any sport. Um, I like when Real Madrid plays Bilbao because they have such a good track record of when they play Bilbao, you know? Um, I think, what, it's the last five or six games they played each other. They Real's won. Probably something along those lines. I remember the last time... I remember losing to them was in the Copa del Rey a couple of years ago, but you play them twice a year. So five or six yeah. sounds pretty spot on. Yeah, Copa del Rey, uh, Bilbao won one nothing. So, I mean, in the last six games, Atletico's only won once, um, which is great because if you're coming off a win and you're going against a team that you know you're going to play well against, it, it's just a huge confidence boost. Um and that's what Real needs. They need to have confidence on the pitch and, you know, management needs to have confidence in the guys and they need to go out there and do their thing. Yeah. And, you know, something that I do want to preface too is just the fact that like 
anytime you play Bilbao, even if you have a good track record, especially at the Sam MS, it's always going to be a tough game. Uh, yeah. They just they lock it down there. The atmosphere is really strong for their from their fans. Um, as someone that's been to a game at the Sam MS, it is the wildest environment I've ever been in. I've been to a Penn State Whiteout game. I've been to the Bernabeu two times. I've I've been to a Flyers Penguins game in Pittsburgh. Like just wild games. Um, Yankees Orioles back when the Orioles used to be good in the uh, in Camden and the environment was insane because it was you were fighting for you know the winning the AL East. Um, just a great environment, no matter who they play against. And when they play against Barcelona and Madrid, they really step up their game for the atmosphere. Um, but I thought Bill Bow actually played really well, and I thought Madrid were really lucky not to concede. Um, if you just want to, if we would just want to start talking about Bill Bow, I think that'd probably be a good place to start because I think at, on another day, this game could have gone a different way. Um, and I do think that confidence from the 3-2 win translated to the confidence against Bill Bow today. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you, especially about if this game was played over again, it could definitely go a different direction. Um, I think I tweeted something at, at halftime. It was like, I'm interested to see if we see a different Bill Bow after half. And it was because... Um, they really didn't have many chances. They had a couple concerning chances in the first half, but for most of the first half, Real was the aggressor. Uh, they controlled the ball. And as you know, being in that atmosphere, having your fans behind you, that can drive a team to just put the pressure on all game. And we saw that in the second half. Second half, Bill Bow just... They didn't let the ball barely go across half field mark. I mean, it was they they did what you would expect them to do, and they got a lot from it. They got a ton of corners. They got a ton of chances. They it, it could have been a very different game. And Real is lucky. They had a couple good players on the back line that did their job extremely well, which helped them out. But anytime you can see twelve corners, um, and most of those are in the second half one team's got a lot of pressure. Yeah, and that's the thing about, you know, corners, they don't really have a high um, percentage of scoring, especially on XG. The XG you get from corners isn't that really high, just like crosses. But the pressure that mounts when you keep conceding corners and conceding corners, you know, the team that's getting the corners is probably feeling comfortable in the situation yeah. while, you know, you're like, crap, I, you know. I, I got to cover this man and, you know, try and get this ball up the field so that we can potentially move up the field. Cause you know, the game of football is just, it's a game of phases and, you know, we can look at XT expected threat that can show us that. And I would actually be really interested to see the XT from the game. Um, I doubt those numbers are out yet, but at that point, Bill Bow was really threatening and even got one that got called back and it was really lucky it got called back because, yeah. Inaki was on sides and he scored it and the only reason it was offsides was because there was um I think it was Zaretti or um Zaret or Zaraga or I don't even remember. It was the Z last name. I'm a bit I'm a Bill Bow fan. I watch them consistently. I haven't really gotten to watch him this year just because life's been kinda hectic and you know, so I don't really know as much as I usually do with them. But 
a Real Madrid player deflects it and it hits off him who's offsides, and then Tebow makes a save, and that's the only reason that goal didn't count. And that is, I mean, yeah. what a great vision by the linesman, I will say, to actually see that in live time, because even uh, Steve McManaman was like, I don't know why this is offsides. I saw it when I watched it again, and, you know, Steve McManaman, despite playing for Real Madrid, is a Real Madrid hater. Um <laughs> so he's 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 a little sour because Florentino kept trying to push him out when he was there, and he played well, but he wasn't the Galactico signing that Florentino would want. Um, right. And now they, yeah, I didn't no, mean to cut you off, but no, you're it, good to go off of to go off of their disallowed goal. Um, one like you said, the lineman had great vision to see that in real time because I was watching, and I was like, that was a goal. The game's tied. And it wasn't until after the play already continued and I was like, oh, okay, there's the VAR replay and I see why it happened. But, I mean, a lot of the times refs aren't going to go out on a branch and make that decision right then and there and say, no, nope, Especially with VAR. Clear. You know, right. they could just leave it up. They could put their flag up and just leave it up to VAR, but he called it immediately. It was – or just VAR would have looked at it anyway because VAR looked at every goal. Um right. Which is really, I mean, and I thought Anaki actually had a really good game, despite you know he did flub one chance, but you know he kept challenging Militao and Rudiger, and you know Anaki's a fast striker. He's not your prototypical nine. He's kind of a very he's good with link up. He's good with his counter attacking, and you know I thought he gave Rudiger and Militao from you know being a lone striker going against two center backs. Um, he gave them a lot of trouble, and his brother Nico was awesome today. I thought he was probably the best player for Bilbao, um, along with DeMarcos, who did a really good job of shutting down Vinicius, which isn't an easy thing to do. Um, yeah. Especially because they played a high line. you know, They pressed, and Vinicius had acres of space to run into, and DeMarcos did an awesome job of shutting him down. And Nico just kept creating chances after chances. Sometimes he was on the right, sometimes he was on the left, and he just kept creating chances for them to score. And it just, you know, a couple bounces just didn't go their way. And even Anaki fluffed one that I thought he would have scored. Yeah, I thought... Anaki Nico on that one. uh, That's what I meant. Yes. I thought he had a guaranteed goal. Um, He took a quick shot, and I think he just, you know, when you're trying to make a snap decision, you're off by even a foot. The ball's going way wide. (laughs) Yeah. You know? It's Even a snap, a couple it's a snap decision. And, yeah. you know, so that he, ball just took an unlucky bounce for him, honestly. It was he got um, stuck at his feet. It was very fortunate that yeah. Real got the result that they did. I don't think Real played bad. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, they didn't deserve to win. Um, I thought their first half was really good. Bill, Bill Bow definitely turned up the pressure and did everything they could to score. And. In another time, they probably win that game. Um, like I said, a couple players on Real were stellar on defense and really bailed out their defense. Um, I was just looking at the stats uh, again, and Bilbao had a total of 18 shots this game. That's... And I mean, it means you're getting you know, chances. You know, you're getting shoot. chances exactly. And we're not talking. We're not talking 18 shots from outside the box. We're talking multiple shots back to back, or even ones that are all. Most of them were inside the box, inside the 18. I mean, it was. They had chances. I'll put it like that. 
Yeah, and that was shown even in the XG, which, you know, I'm trying to get an exact number because I just saw one on TV that showed the XG. Okay, so this XG, the uh, info goal has Real Madrid 1.15 and Bilbao 1.3. Um, and Nico Williams, the one he flubbed, was a 0.4. Wow. Yeah. And the one Asensio flubbed was a 0.5. So, you know, <laughs> when you're looking at it, both teams, if you take those chances away, both teams, well, especially Real Madrid, really overperformed their XG. If you take away that Asensio chance, which he did miss. So, you know, it's not like it was like, oh, like that's a goal. You right. know, you're taking away 0.5 from 1.15. Real Madrid scored two goals off 0.6 XG. That's not that's not um, sustainable. But in games like this, it's really important it doesn't really matter how you play. Just get the three points and go home. Right. Especially when you're in the position that you're in. Um, like we said, Real hasn't been in the best of form. And we always know that they dip in January. But when you're in this position, you need your points. You can't afford to drop points. And now you're running on a two-game win streak. You And you won in possibly or arguably one of the harder stadiums to win in in La probably Liga. the hardest in my opinion in Spain, you should sure. be riding that high into your next game and hopefully you can string it along and continue to you know improve um yeah plus i think it was a good win at la ceramica because i don't think it i think it'd been like six years since we'd won there so you know that's a that's a game changer when you can win somewhere where you haven't won for six years. And I think that right. also helps the momentum of the team to get going. Um, and we have a lot, we have tough games coming up. We have um, Atletico on Thursday, and then we have Real Sociedad, who's on a nine game winning streak on Sunday. Um, and Atletico looked really good against Real Valladolid. You know, it's Real Valladolid, so a grain of salt, but still, you know, for a team, Atletico can, you know, knock you out so anytime. So, you know, playing Villarreal back-to-back, playing um, Bilbao, then playing Atletico, then playing Real Sociedad, that's five games back-to-back that are re- or back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back that are really tough. And, you know, if Madrid can get through this stretch with only dropping the points to Villarreal, advancing in both Copa del Rey's, going... Uh, I think we play Real Sociedad at the Bernabeu, I would guess, because we were away today. Um, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but you know, if they can get through that stretch, if we can get through that stretch, that'd be really good um, for the team. And then, you know, looking f- another good thing is, you know, to transition. If you don't want to, I mean, you can speak on that, but you know, the starting lineup isn't our typical starting lineup. There was, you know, Rodrigo no, was not. rested. Um, the midfield was a completely different midfield than we're ever used to seeing. And I was ha- when I see a lineup like that, I'm happy with seeing that because, like. Ceballos has played well. He's deserved it. Um, Valverde has been on and off form, but he's young. You know, give Tony Cruz and Luca a rest. And Kamavinga started the last four games, I think, with the club. And, you know, he played well today. Um, and then the defense, you know, we have a lot of injuries right now. Alaba's out and Rudiger's getting a run of games, which is really important for him because it's really hard to make it at this club, let alone yeah. to come in as a starter. Um or to be a starter elsewhere and come in and accept a bench role is probably the hardest bit of it all. You know, Alba right. came in as a veteran, and, you know, I, I, this isn't a knock on Chelsea, but, you know, Bayern and Real Madrid are, like, the same level in, you know, what what's expected from you. Right. Chelsea's in 10th place right now, and, you know, 
no one's ringing the alarm bells. If Real Madrid was in 10th place, you know, coaches would be fired. Uh, yeah, the, there might the even city be a would be burning. Yeah, there might be a presidential election coming around, you know? So it's not the same, and the same thing would happen at Bayern. If Bayern was in 10th place, all hell would be breaking loose because that's what's expected. Um, You know, so Ruger having to come into a new situation and being a starter elsewhere and then coming in and not being a guaranteed starter, you know, and he played terrible against Barcelona, and he was getting shredded on Twitter, on the internet, for his performances, and because of that one performance, now everyone's been shitting on him every single performance, even though he yeah. wasn't bad against Villarreal, and he was actually awesome today. Um, yes, he was. And I know I had, I said a lot there, but... um No, I mean, the only thing I was going to add is, we've talked about this off-pod, um, Real Madrid has a starting 11, and then every bench player could be in a starting 11 anywhere else in the world. You have a full team, a full roster, basically, of guys that all should be starting. And like you said, when you are sitting your Modric, your Cruz, um, you have injuries, it's really hard for those players, but it's also hard for those young guys that aren't getting the time that they should be getting because at any other club, they would be getting the most time because they should be developing. And that's how you develop your young players. You let them get experience from playing. Uh, but that's very hard to do at Real because you just have such a high caliber of talent. Um, Every player has the potential to be world-class. One of the best yeah. people in their world. They don't bring people in if they don't have that potential especially yep. as a young kid. Um, and that's kind of why it's really difficult to make it here. Um, and it's kind of why Asensio, Danny Ceballos have kind of been pushed to the side because, you know, they kind of flopped for a little while. And Asensio has been on and off since, right. you know, um, the ACL. And Ceballos actually, since returning from Arsenal, in my opinion, has been awesome when he's been asked to play. You know, something that's not even mentioned is just, the fact that he was putting in big minutes against City, against Chelsea. You know, he was finishing right. out games in big games. Carlo showed him that trust, and he was the sixth man on the totem pole for midfielders at last year. And, you know, he's still the sixth man this year, but the the totem pole has been raised. You know, like, okay, you're still the sixth yeah. guy, but you're still playing important minutes. You're actually starting games now, and, he's, and he was excellent today. Probably my man of the match for me. Yeah, I um, it it's a toss up uh for me between Kamavinga and Ceballos. Um, the midfield did a really good job, especially in the first half, just running things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kamavinga was all over the place in a good way. He was involved in everything on both sides of the ball. There's plays he was making in the box on those corners that we conceded that were huge, clearing the ball. He was creating chances on the other half of the field. So Bios was doing the same thing. He was the center of play in the midfield. Um, and that's what you really want to see. You really want to see those young players get those touches. You want to see them have good games. And if they do let's say, mess up, um, you want to reinforce it with that trust. And, you know, that's something that I think Carlo has always done with players is he has a good relationship with his players. Mm -hmm. He's not one of the coaches that will just say, you didn't play well today, so guess what? You're going to be benched for the next three, four games. Yeah. 
Um, and you know that was kind of the problem with Zidane. Actually, he would play well, and then he'd bench you. You know, mm-hmm. it was just it was the wildest right. thing in the world. And you know no something sense. something that with Kamavinga that really sticks out to me is that like people people like you know Real Madrid reactionary, very quick to be like, well, maybe Kamavinga should never be a starter because he's so good coming on as a sub. And I'm just like, what is the sample size that we have on him as a consistent starter? Right. Consistent. That's the key word here. When he gets five games, he had never started five games in a row until right now. It's the first time it's happened. Right. He started five games in a row now. And we are now reaping the benefits of seeing that. He was everywhere, like you said. He was cutting passing lanes. He was progressing the ball up the field through his dribbling. He's very, sl- like, not slightly, slyly fast. Like, his... Um, yeah, he's low-key He's low key quick with the yes, ball. Yes, and he's really um, in elegant traffic. with the ball, too. Yes. Yeah. You know, he kind of can weave his way in and out. Um, and Which he, is he huge. Yes, and it's a big deal, especially for a modern midfield. And, you know, this, is a, this midfield was about as modern as a midfield as you can get. And it's why, yeah. you know, it's why that Ceballos was kind of given a... Tony Cruz role to kind of like ping balls wherever you wanted. And I know you wanted to touch on switches, but you know, with Kamavinga working really hard and Fede working really hard and Vinicius working really hard, it's really easy for Sabios to get that ball half space because the guys around him are looking, working hard. And you know, and that's not, I'm not saying Sabios doesn't work hard because Sabios works really hard. He's a, yeah. She just had a hardworking midfield and it just, it, it worked in a game like this in a very hectic game. Um, you know, having, Hard workers, and you know this this midfield is something that a lot of fans have been calling for. The fans that really understand the game, you know, not the fans that are like, well, you know, you just got to trust the old guys. Like, no, sometimes yeah. you need different looks. Sometimes you, you know, certain players are s- suited better for certain games. And when you use the same players over and over again, you become stale. You know, because as as a person, you can only think about so many things, right? Like. Right. If I'm like, I'm just going to relate this to when I play hockey, you know, I'm not going to go up and do different dangles that I can't do. I'm going to do something that I know how to do. Right? right. And so it becomes predictable when Luka Modric does the same things every single game and Tony Cruz does the same things every single game and Chuamani does the same things every single game. So throwing in a wrinkle like Ceballos and Kamavinga, it's a lot harder to predict because the data is not there and they're right. evolving as players. You know, we have. Luka Modric is 37. We have literally, he became a pro at like 17. We have 20 years of data on this guy. You know? like, <laughs> what more can he evolve into as a player? Right. Everybody knows that at the 17th minute, Luka Modric is going to take a rip from almost midfield and probably not touch the net. And it's going to happen once a game, and you know that it's going to happen. Um, like you said, the data is not there on the young guys. Um to touch on the switching aspect of the play today, which I really love to see in the first half. Um, what you know me as a person, I like intelligent players mm-hmm. I, in every sport. Um, the guys that have vision that make the passes to the pass that scores, they started that play. Yeah. And – a lot of what I saw today, and we could talk about this and tie it into Kamavinga's movement, um, when the ball was switched, and it was switched about three or four times at one 
and a very short stint of play. Um, it allowed for movement behind the defenders and the midfield on Bilbao because they constantly had to be going to the opposite direction. And a smart player knows, one, you have to get to open space, but two, if your defender loses sight of where the ball is and where you are, if they're defending you, you have that opportunity to slide into open space. Mm -hmm. And... I don't think particularly we had any amazing chances off that play where there was multiple switches, but the players moved around. And when we decided to attack and actually get into the box, we could do it. The, mm-hmm. the Bilbao defenders in midfield had a hard time keeping track of off ball players because they were moving around so much. Um, and that's just intelligent play. I mean, that's, it, it gets your, it gets your, the defense tired. It, makes guys guess where they are on the field because it screws up their spatial recognition and they have to keep track of more data. I mean, in a game that moves so fast with such high caliber players, if you're trying to keep track of so much information and all of a sudden you got to switch your look and go the opposite way, that's just one more thing that's hard to keep track of. Yeah, I like the word spatial awareness because to me that is like, that is um, the key for hitting switches and, you know, as you know, and I doubt maybe people that listen to this know, I don't know if I've mentioned it. I did coach a lot in the past, like literally during season, I didn't do anything but coach. That was it. And so something that you can't do at the younger level, because there's not enough guys that can hit a switch is hits, you know, switch the play. So it's a shorter switch of play. But when you switch the play, it's important because those defenders have to now change their positioning and the changing of positioning if you don't move perfectly as a unit it's really hard and the higher you are up the pitch the more likely you are when you hit that switch of play the higher you are up at the pitch as the defending team so not the team switching there's more space so when they hit that switch we're all ha- we as a unit have to shift and if we don't shift properly as a unit which is really i mean we're talking that like if you're a couple centimeters off on your positional your position you're opening up acres of space behind you um and so you know when you hit that switch and then they have to shift it opens up so much space that wasn't there before because now all 11 guys well all 10 outfield players have to move on that switch and decide okay i'm pressing here that means you got to bump up we got to shift this way and like it was something when i coached it was something i really especially with the midfield i really tweaked on i'm like okay like i would literally get out the whiteboard and i'd be like okay when this ball's here we shift this way when this ball's here we shift that way and at the high school level it was a lot easier because a lot of those guys are multi-sport athletes so you know they understand but you know they understand the positional awareness like if you play basketball right it's a very positional dominated because you got a 5v5 in a very um i would consider it an open space um but it's also tight at the same time but that's not my point just you know you very you have to be very positionally aware um yeah no 100% um i couldn't agree more with you on that the the ability to keep track of who you're defending and where the ball is going. You know, we talk about it a lot when we play hockey together and it's keeping the puck and your defender, the guy you're guarding basically 
in your peripherals so that way you can do both things at once. As soon as you turn your head to look one way, you don't know where one of those things are. Yeah, the and guy can one slip of those, right behind you. And you if he slips know. right behind you, like you said, it's acres of space. And next thing you know, that could lead to a goal. I mean, it's manipulating the environment that you're playing in is underutilized, I think. Um, you know, we've talked about how, and I can't stand it, and I don't really want to touch on it too long because it'll get me going. But, for instance, in the EPL, they love playing the ball in the air and keeping yeah. it in the air. They don't like Bottom settling the ball. Um, you're not utilizing the space. No, you're you just know? playing ping pong. Exactly. It's gotten better but, with Pep and Arteta being there just because, you know. Right. But it used to be a lot worse than it is now. And there still are a lot of teams that play that way. Yeah, I mean, I was watching Brentford play this morning, and there was like seven headers hit back and forth before somebody finally settled the ball. And I was like, oh, wow, look at that. When you settle the ball, you don't turn it over. How about it? You know? Yeah. Um, La Liga, that would never happen, ever. Right. Seven in a row? That's wild. I digress. I don't want to talk about the EPL or their style of play. But the environment, use the environment to your maximum. Um, in basketball, they tell you if you're playing somebody, force them to the sideline. Use the out of bounds. Use your environment as a second defender. You know what I mean? Um, and you can do that offensively too. It's just it's something that I think is underutilized. And when I saw it today, I was really happy, and I saw the effects that it was having. And like I said, Real Madrid they controlled the first half of the game. The midfield absolutely ran the first half of the game. They did their thing, and they got an early goal off of it, and they got chances off of it. I mean, it was it was a joy to watch. And the Benzema finish wasn't easy, you know, like that no, was not an easy no. finish. There's a reason the XG on it was the way it was, but yeah. you know, world class players do world class things. So it's not that I'm like, oh, he should like he'll miss a sitter, but then I'll score that, and that's that's where my troubles come in with Benz. You know, I guess I'll kind of use this to transition to the forwards. Um, we saw four forwards today, Asensio. Um, I guess Fede, I guess kind of five because Fede did get bumped out there kind of um, when Luca came on for Asensio. Yeah. But, you know, we had Asensio, Rodrigo, Vinicius, and uh, Benzema. And honestly, I didn't really think any of them played particularly well, which is weird to come away with two goals when your forwards don't play well. Right. I, um, I, there was one play that I did watch, um, and it should have resulted in a goal. Uh, mm-hmm. It was the one that Sensio missed. Yeah. 0.58 XG. Right. Or 0.48, like, sorry. Keep, keep, keep that in mind. Um, it's not an easy goal to score. It wasn't. But Plus on his weak foot, too. He had a right think, footed, you know. I think individually the players didn't play super amazing, but together they had, you know, moments of brilliance. Yeah. And that's I'll, – I'll, I'll be honest, if I can take five good guys, put them on the field, and they play cohesively, and you get goals out of it, I'd rather have that than one superstar taking 10 shots a game and scoring once. Yeah, I definitely agree with that sentiment. And, you know, something that I do want to preface is that, like, Vinicius, okay, he didn't play. He didn't play. Like, I wouldn't say Vini played bad. He was just shut down. Like, yeah, he kept it wasn't trying too, and trying. It and wasn't trying. to his ability that he played bad. Yeah. It was he just, got defended very well. <laughs> yeah. You know, and DeMarcos, as we already mentioned, did a fantastic job there. And, you know, Asensio didn't really bring much. 
I to me he was like a zero for the game. Um, yeah. Even the header that he assisted Benzema with, it, like, how do you not get that on target? You're six foot two. Like, you know right. what I'm saying? Like, come right. on. Um, he's not known for his headers, and that's why he doesn't. But you know, and then Rodrigo. Actually, Rodrigo was probably the best attacker, even though he only played 20 minutes for you know the entire 90 minutes, and he set up Cruz for that goal. Um, yeah. And, you know, I didn't think – I thought the – you know, going – I don't really have much more to say on the forwards, honestly, um, before I transition. Yeah, the, the forwards, they had half a game, essentially. I mean, yeah. um, you know, you knew that Bill Bell had to come out and put on in the second half, and that's what they did. They put the pressure on. We played a lot of football in our defensive part of the field, and – you're obviously not going to get a whole lot of action out of your forwards when that happens. But it it's always nice to know that if your forwards have an opportunity, it's going you, you get excited that they do. Um that was one of the things that, you know, going towards our defense, and maybe it's a good segue, uh, the through balls that our defense allows. There was quite a few through balls that Bill Bow played through our back line mm-hmm. and they Bill Bow had some very good scoring chances off of you don't want that excitement. You don't want that. Oh my God, here comes a through ball and it goes through and Oh my God, they're going to score. You want that on offense. You do not want to see that on defense. Um, but before we get into that, we can, uh, we can say midfield did very well and the forwards, they got the job done. It just wasn't spectacular. It's really just one moment of brilliance for the forwards. Or yeah. two. Rodrigo had the other one, and then Benzema had the other. Um, and, yeah. you know, before we even get to defense, just I, I thought Luka Modric's sub was weird because it, that was kind of the turning point. You know, the game was in control, and then Luka came on, and right. all control was lost. And it was kind of weird, especially because he only pulled off Asensio. But you started moving when you bring Luca on. You started moving around the pieces in the midfield that worked yeah. so well co- cohesively together during the 60, 70 minutes that they did play together. And you know, I was I had a bet on the game, you know, and we were only up one nothing at the time. And I'm watching it. And I was like, oh man, is my bet not like should I? Like, you know how you can cash out? I'm looking at. It, I'm like, should I cash out like now? You know, right. just save my ass. Um, I didn't. Luckily, um. I would have won. I would have pulled. I would have won eighty, and it's at the time when I was thinking about pulling out. Um, and I won one fifty by the end of the game. So, no complaints from me on that one. But having faith in the club, yeah, it, it, to the detriment of my own goodwill. Um, yeah. And you know, uh, Luca was kind of a, I would say a negative, and then Cruz was kind of a moot point because. Cruz didn't do much. Yes, he scored the goal, but like the only other thing that in my head I remember is he committed that foul. And to me, you know, I don't really care about committing a foul. You know, to me, it's not a big deal. But um, yeah, I mean, Cruz, Luca, any thoughts there? And then I do want to go back to Kamavinga just really fast for a short tangent. Uh, go to Kamavinga. I'm looking at um, the performance. I do know the foul you're talking about for Cruz, but go to yeah. Kamavinga. Um, so the one thing about Kamavinga is a lot of people complain about, you know, I get people texting me about it, uh, just how he's always committing yellow foul, ye- yellow cards, you know. Um, yeah. And he he usually it's in the first half. Uh, he's kind of rash sometimes, but he's a twenty year old kid. And 
you know, I do think that these games and Carlo did mention it in his presser that he wanted Kamavinga to be able to manage a game when he gets a yellow card. That to Carlo, that was very important because mm. you know it was something Casemiro was really good at. Casemiro has a number of yellow cards throughout his career. I think he only has one red card, and it was recent. So like he went a number of years at Real Madrid without a red card. Um, so that means he's managing his aggression. He's managing his fouls. And you know what? Kamavinga is a young kid. He still needs to learn. You know, we're, we're, I'm comparing him to Casemiro because just they're both very rash in their decision making defensively, but. Yeah. Casemiro was a very smart rash, you know, like, oh my, like, he was always communicating to the ref, he was always on good terms with every single ref, because he knew that, okay, I'm gonna commit a foul that is probably a yellow, but if I'm on good terms with the ref, he might not call me for it. So, you know, that's kind of why I believe Casemiro always got away. And, you know, Kamavinga just, I think he needs to be a little smarter um, in his decision-making defensively sometimes, and that's why he gets the yellows, because he's, like, he gets, like, ball-happy, like his eyes light up, and he just yeah. atta- jumps on the ball or attacks, you know, jumps on the person, because he's like, oh, I can win this, and instead, you know, be a little bit more intelligent. And to the point, I was actually really nervous. There was a ball that was between him and Nico Williams. It was in the top right corner of the box in the first half. And I was very nervous that Kamavinga was going to like go in really rash in the box and take out Nico Williams. But he didn't. Um, so that was a good thing for me because I was like, okay, so like he does realize it. You know, like he's looking at the situation that he's in and being like, okay, like. I know where I'm at. I'm in the box, so let me be a little bit more reserved right now. To me, that was a good sign. Um, just to know that he's evolving, he's thinking. Yeah, it's a sign of maturity. It's um, it's what you want to see in your young players. You want them to have that eyes lighting up wide when they see the ball, but having the maturity to say, this isn't a play I need to make right now. I can do this instead. Um, that's what makes great players, you know? It's um, Sorry, it's it's a very yeah you're good God bless you it's very Thank um you. it's very good to see when your young players are enthusiastic that was something that I wanted to say about Kabayas is um that man comes off the bench and plays for the time that he has he doesn't come off the bench and walk and you know pat around because he doesn't get the minutes that he you know he ar- arguably says he should get mm-hmm. he comes out and plays when he has the time to play and that's what you want um you don't want young guys to be discouraged but you also want to see that maturity and seeing that maturity like you said of having a yellow card and managing it in the game is it's reassuring you know and i can't imagine how carlos feels about it because he's probably like okay this is a level of trust that i can now you know have in him yeah he's building trust like, okay, so I can trust him because, you know, it could be very detrimental if in the first half he gets a yellow and then you're sitting there like, you know, and that's kind of why anytime he got a yellow in the first half, Carlo always pulled him off because he's looking at him like, dude, I just can't trust you not to get a red. Right. And I guess now maybe I, I maybe they had an open conversation about it, you know, because it seemed to click recently because it literally like a week ago, um, <laughs> you got a yell in the first half, you got yanked. Sorry, the next game, you got a yell in the first half, you got yanked two games in a row. And then the third game, he got a yell in the first half, and Carlo kept him on. And then that's when Carlo kind of said, like, hey, like, I, you know, I kept him on because uh, one of the managing Madrid guys asked him, 
why did you keep him on? Because you're usually quick to pull him. And he was like, well, I, I thought that he really needs to learn how to play when he has a yellow card. No. I, I think that's a big... I To me, that speaks volumes about the relationship they've built to this point. Right. Um, Even if there was a, just that changing point literally less than a week ago, but still to this point, they see that. Um, Any other thoughts on midfield attack? Um... I don't I don't necessarily understand why the change happened that happened the Luka um, switch yes yeah, sometimes 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 I feel um managers use chain you know substitutions as a strategic thing if, for mm-hmm. instance if Bill Bow is pressing and you know they're gaining momentum okay what's the best way we can cool them off take time soak time up when the next ball goes out of play we take someone off the field we make a change then we do that again and you kind of disrupt their pattern um but i agree when modric came on the field cruz came on the field next thing you know <laughs> the ball's never leaving our half yeah there is no control anymore and the thing is is there's some those are two guys that are in theory controllers you know like you put right. them on the field and that's that's probably what carlo was thinking and that's why he made the subs personally i would have my subs would have been Vinicius, um, Rodrigo for Vinicius, and that would have been maybe throw another forward on, you know, maybe pull out Asensio and throw like Hazard on or something. I, I like just to like get them fresh because yeah. Bilbao was pressing, um, and to maybe like get fresh legs out there to be like, all right, let's just hit a ball over the top. But I wouldn't right. have changed the midfield because the midfield had it under control, and then you put on a new midfielder and we lost control of the midfield. It was very. You know, in I see Carlos thought process. Let me get to my two controllers out there, two of the goat midfielders of all time. Yes, you know, right. like right. So two he's not like he's experienced two goat midfielders, two controllers that slow the game down or at least drive the game in the way they want it to go in their own rhythm. Um, yeah, and you know, it's so like I can't sit here and be like, oh yeah, Carlos wrong for that because like ninety nine point nine percent of managers <laughs> are sitting there like. All right, I'm up by one. Let me get some guys out there to help control, slow down the pace because you know the way that midfield is, it's a very fast-paced midfield because yes. of the energy that they bring. So, like, I I understand it, but personally, if I was on the sideline and someone that's coached, seeing the how much momentum we had, it literally switched the momentum the other way. Yeah. It um. Hey, it worked out. Yeah, I, like you said, like you said, ninety nine percent of the time, I believe that those are the two guys that you want to bring on to control the game. Exactly. It just didn't. It just didn't have that effect. It had the you know opposite effect, and they still pulled it out. But yeah, that's that's not something that. And Cruz got a goal. You know. Like, yeah. Right. Right. So you can't ever you can't ever hate on the guy for that. Um, yeah. The subs, so the subs weren't necessarily wrong, but they also weren't necessarily right either. Right. In that, in that sense, you know, to me, there is some thought process to say that they were wrong, but you were. It's justified that it was right. It's kind of like one of those things that it's just like hindsight's always twenty twenty. You know, like yeah. If I pull off my forward and then we concede and then we need a goal, you know, like oh fuck, like I did, shouldn't have done that, you know. Right. Uh, but you know, again, hi- it's really easy when hindsight's twenty twenty on that one because yeah, you know the future. I don't, you know, when in that moment you don't know what's going to happen next, and you're trying to assess the situation and understand what needs to be done next to help you win the game. And you know, Carlo thought the best choice was to put on those two. Right. I um, 
I was trying to keep I was trying to keep tally of some obscure stuff, and one of the things was how well Bill Bow is countering. Yeah. Today, um, there's really only two meaningful counterattacks that they had, and if it were me, which God, I hope I'm never in the position where I coach Real Madrid because I'm probably <laughs> going to bottle the game, but. Um, I would have looked at, and this is just me personally and possibly the American way, I don't like just pulling back and winding down the game. I like staying aggressive. Um, get some insurance. You know, being yeah. up one nothing, being up one nothing is not insurance. That's a close, very close game. Um, there was really only two, two instances where they had an effective counterattack, and like you said, you pull that fast pace, that energy, that um, you know, just excitement that we have what in had the worked out you and pulled changed off what it. Was working, you know, that's the problem. Yeah, you change it, and all of a sudden we don't have that, and we're not playing against a team that's effectively counterattacking us. We should be aggressive, you know. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't if they can't if they can't prove that their counterattack is viable throughout the game then there's no reason to have a more defensive mindset, you know? Yeah, and the thing was is that they, they had a bunch of counterattacking opportunities, but, like, you know, our center backs did a really good job of just shutting down right. Naki, which was, you know, he's always going to be a problem on the counter. So, you know, and I guess we can kind of use this to just segue to the, you know, talking about the defense and, um, you know, and, Rudiger and Militao both did a good job against Anaki, you know, but Anaki yep. also did a really good job against Rudiger and Militao. You know, it was one of those battles that doesn't get talked about because Bilbao didn't even score, but, you know, Anaki was giving them both tons of trouble the entire game. Right. The, um, I think the official stat line says that, uh, Bilbao only had three actual scoring chances out of their 18 shots. On goal, okay. um, I have it. I have it spotted that there was five actual scoring chances, um, and a lot of these numbers are going to correlate. And you know me, I like defense. I've always liked the mm-hmm. position of defense. I've liked defensive players. I I just think that in order to play defense, you have to be one of the best people out there. Yeah, it, it's it's. It's hard to score, but it's hard to stop people from scoring. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of these numbers you're, might because you're not in control, you know. Exactly, like, you don't have the ball. You have to. You're you have you're to playing react a reactionary. To what they do. Yeah, you're yeah. playing a reactionary position, which is very hard. Um, today, though, Bilbao had seven through balls. They had eight crosses that weren't corners. Um, they had twelve corners, and they had five actual uh, attempts on goal that could have led to some sort of scoring chance or a goal just off of one shot. Um, to me, that says that one, Bill Bell had a lot of pressure. Two, like you said, Anaki was giving them work. They would, didn't have an easy day back there. They didn't just say, hey, you know, you guys didn't score. We must have just sat back all game. No, yeah. the defense actually had to play today. Yeah. And they had to show looking, up. Right, and looking at those numbers, um, which you know there's a lot of through balls that get through our back line. We allow a lot of crosses into the box, um, and today conceded a lot of corners. Your your defense is put to the test, and 
they did it. I mean, they they showed up. Uh, the defense played really well. I was happy with the way they played both the uh, brothers, and I think they did a good job against Nico. Um, I was really happy with the way the defense played today. Yeah, and you know something that um, I thought Nacho played really well today as well. Um, he did have that one chance that I thought he was going to score too. Yeah, yeah, um, and buried it right in the chest. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was screaming Nacho, and Kate's head peeked up um, because that's her boy. Um, and you know, I just he had he he was dealt. He had to do a lot of work today too, because Nico was floating from right to left. Yeah. Um. In the way that Mendy played, and you know, I'll move to that next. Uh, you know, it was kind of like almost a back three at times when Mendy would push forward. So you know, that means that Nacho had to deal with Inaki as well, and you know, yeah. the left winger uh, who was Berenguer, um, who's also a fantastic player, um. And, you know, I think today we were kind of lucky to not see Iker Munayin for 90 minutes, who's an awesome player as well. Um, and we got Sanset instead, and Sanset's a fantastic player too. This this Bilbao team is really underrated, really one of the better yeah. teams in La Liga that doesn't get talked about a lot because they really just – they lack scoring ability, which we kind of saw today. Um, they don't – you know, Naki's not a great finisher. Nico's young and very green, raw. Um, Iker didn't play today or – he did play, but not a lot. And Raul Garcia is just kind of old and past it. Um, so, you know, they don't really have an out-and-out out nine, and it kind of makes it hard for them. But, you know, they do create a lot of havoc. They do create a lot of trouble. Um, and we saw that today because there were was, there was some times where, you know, our defenders did a really good job, but you're still sitting on the edge of your seat because you're like, oh, my God. Like, if that ball got through or, like, on the Rudiger one um, where it was offsides, that was still a fantastic defensive play by Rudiger. Um, because Millie Tao didn't track the man, and Rudiger had to make up for Millie Tao not tracking yeah. the man properly. Um, and I guess technically Millie Tao did track the man properly because he was offside, so he let him go. But like you know, if Rudiger was dropped back literally like less than a meter, we're talking about that guy being on sides, and but Rudiger still stopped it. So you know, I, I think that play deserved to be talked about. And Nacho saved a goal too. I, I don't know if it was Rudiger or Millie Tao got cooked. And the guy cut in, and then Nacho made, you know, as a right back, he was there, and he just made a little stabbing tackle to get the ball knocked away. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I just thought Nacho played well today, and he might not get the praise that he probably deserved because, you know, like you said, there were a couple times where he did struggle. Um, but there were also, to me, there was there were a couple times he did struggle, but there were also a couple times where he was the best defender right there, and he did everything perfectly to stop the play. Yeah. I I 100% agree. One thing that I really like to look at when I'm watching any defensive player in any sport um, is I like to see what they can draw for the team in an offensive way versus what they give up in a defensive way. Um, For instance, the defensive players today, they won four fouls. Um, They lost two. And the two that I really saw was the two that Nacho did, but Nacho was also creative on offense. Um, Mendy was creative on offense, pushing up the field, overlapping. Um, When your defensive players are being creative and they're frustrating the other team and forcing them to foul the defense, that is a great sign that you're going to be able to move 
that kind of momentum forward, mm-hmm. uh, you know, up the pitch. That is, it, I really like our defense. I really liked our defense today, and it's crazy because Real has such a star. You know, they have star-studded defensive players, mm-hmm. and the guys that normally play people, you know will hold one over the other in regard. And it's like, at the end of the day, you put Nacho, Militao, Rudiger, um, and I can't believe I'm blanking Alaba. on Yeah, and Alba out there. You got a great defensive line, but when we look at the record for the last 10 games, it, it's like, what's going on? And yeah. then we put guys out who we had today out in a high pressure situation and they do fantastic job. It's like, (laughs) there's a reason. What do you do with that? There's a reason. Exactly. Um, And you know, that kind of brings me to a point before I even get to Mendy. It's just uh, when Pepe was first signed, um, huge Pepe fan here. He, uh, he said he was, he was like a really rude awakening because at Madrid, (laughs) he said that Madrid, you defend by yourself. So apparently he was on a one v one situation one time and he was calling for help. And the guy's like, this is Madrid. You don't get help. Like, he's just like, you got to like, figure it out. You're by yourself. Like that's hilarious. that's that's the level that is expected of defenders and you know that's why Rudiger you know something I want to say about him is that give him some time because as a defender here you know Sergio Ramos struggled for a while um yeah not everyone comes in in their Pepe who was awesome right away Veron who was awesome right away um Millie Tao struggled he didn't become a starter for three years and yeah okay he had Nacho Veron and Ramos in front of him and then he was just thrown into the fucking fire but this is Madrid you get thrown into the fire and you're going to be expected to perform and if you don't perform the club will get rid of you um yep and you know just uh Courtois typical you know best goalkeeper in the world don't really have anything else to say on him you know he Hands wasn't really down. tested that much but you know, still he had to make some important saves, um, and that's all that matters. And then Mendy, um, the past couple of games, he's been overlapping, which helps Vinicius a ton. And something that he wasn't doing, and people were like, oh, it's a tactic from Carlo, and maybe it was. But, you know, it's been helping Vinicius with his decision-making because it gives him another option that they can't double-team, triple-team, quadruple-team because he's just getting an overlap. And Mendy's finding himself in good positions with the ball, and, you know, that's okay, and I'd rather it be a different left-back who was finding themselves in that position with the ball. But it's helping Vinicius in turn and in turn his attacking and it's kind of why against Villarreal in the second half Vinny was the best player on the field and took put the team on his back and did all that um yeah I know I I agree Mendy um Mendy being able to push up the field it's something that we saw with Marcelo right Mm -hmm. when Marcelo pushed up the field you're forced to play him you can't just let him run rampant with the ball. But if yeah. you have someone with Vinny's speed and ability in front of him, you're now in a really tough position because you have to play somebody that you don't want pushing up the field with the ball and you have to play somebody that you don't want getting behind you with the ball. Yeah. Um I love to see that style of play. Like I said, I like aggressive play. Um if there isn't a reason to take your foot off the pedal, don't do it. Um especially in a one nothing game you know i i think i think real showed how dominant they can be in the first half and i would have liked to see a little bit more of that in the second half you know scoring a scoring the the nail in the coffin in the 90th minute it, it always had always has you on the edge of your seat right yeah um but like you said 
having Mendy being able to push up and overlap, it, it, it gives Vinny the ability to make decisions. And that's a lot of times what a young player needs. They don't need to make all the decisions themselves, but they need to maybe have one decision eliminated so they can make the right one. Um, it's a really good, good pl- it's a really good play style for him. Yeah, and I think that's a good point that um, actually makes a good point is that like just being able to eliminate, you know, an option for him is probably helpful to him in the long run. Anyway, um, other than that, any more talking points from you that you want to touch on that we haven't? Uh, no, I um. I was happy with the way things went. Um, I thought our midfield did a really good job, and it wasn't our typical midfield. Mm-hmm. Um, they played cohesively. Uh, the boys came out and did their thing. I, and yeah. I love to see it in a stadium that's hard to win at. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I've always been very adamant that when midfield wins you games, um, just because you know you have to do. They help you on both sides of the ball, and they help progress with all of the field. Um, obviously, you know, if you have a good goalkeeper that can change, you know, you have a forward that's on fire that can change, but you know, to me, if you can dominate the midfield, you're going to win most games. Um, yeah. 100%. Which is what made the old Barca team so good with Xavi, Nesta, and Busquets. And what's what made Luca Cruz and Casemiro so good is because they just dominated midfields all the time. Yep. Um, so thank you for joining today, Bill. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. It's yeah, a pleasure. Feel feel free to join whenever you want. If you ever watch a game you want to join, you're always you are now added to the list. So you can just join the podcast. Um if you ever plan on watching a game, just let me know. Feel free to join us. Um sometimes our schedules don't always line up, so I get it. You know, I know you're a busy guy, I'm a busy guy. But you know, to me in my opinion, the more people that we can bring on to this for the better um, mid of the podcast. Cause you know, it could be you and O it could be me and you it could be all three of us, you know, just whatever it is, always feel free to join. If you want to join, you know, if you ever watch a game, you want to, you have something you want to say, you ever see some news, you have something you want to say, just let me know. Feel free. Um, I appreciate so thank you for joining. It. Yeah. It's been great having you. Um, it's been great being here. So thank you all for listening, like share and subscribe. Tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your wife, Tell your brothers, tell your sisters. Um, go follow us on TikTok at La Casa Blanca Pod and go follow us on Twitter at La Casa Blanca Pod. Hala Madridi, not a Moss, and good win against Bilbao.